You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Again, it's great to be with y'all this morning uh, as we begin the week of Christmas. And uh, so we figured that uh, the week of Christmas, many of y'all are going to spend some time with family this week. And so what better passage to teach on than Jesus talking about not murdering people, right? You know, or like not getting angry at people, not calling them names. Like I'm sure none of y'all have ever felt that temptation when you're around your family. And probably, hopefully you never felt that around anyone else, but chances are you might, you know, or you might have. And and just so just in case you might wanna lean in to see what Jesus has to say about this topic Today, because uh, we're you know continuing our series and Jesus' sermon on the mount, and uh, if you remember last week, we uh, we left off with Jesus' like startling statement in Matthew chapter five verse twenty when he says, "For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which were like the religious elite of that day, uh, he says you will not, or you will certainly not." Enter the kingdom of heaven. And the people on that mountainside who heard Jesus say that, that day would have thought, wait, what? Because, you know, in that day, they viewed the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as being the people that were the most committed to following God's law and making sure others followed God's law too. And so Jesus is saying, like, unless your righteousness actually surpasses theirs, you're not going to even enter the kingdom of heaven. It was a shocking statement. But what the people on that mountainside uh, didn't fully understand yet is that uh, Jesus wasn't talking about a surface level righteousness that's measured by outward behavior. Okay, they didn't get that yet. And so Jesus knew that they, that they didn't understand that, that they didn't understand he was talking about a deeper righteousness that comes from a heart that's transformed to the point that you are doing, that everything you're doing is driven out of this like motivation or this undercurrent of love. That's what Jesus is talking about. They don't, they don't get that yet. And so Jesus, what he's going to do is he's going to give six examples of what kind of righteousness that he's really getting at, this righteousness that's, that's beyond that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And this morning, we're going to look at the first of those six examples. And you find the six kind of through the end of chapter 5 in uh, the book of Matthew. And the, this first one that he's going to talk about is this command to do not murder, as Ian just read for us. And see, he's going to uh, take this command, and he's going to move the focus from outward behavior to what's going on inside of us that drives our outward behavior and leads to broken relationships and relational pain and even, in extreme cases, murder. And I believe the reason why Jesus starts with this topic when he's beginning to talk about this righteousness that's beyond that of the Pharisees, I think he goes to this specific command, do not murder, and what he does with it to move inside. It's, the reason is because broken relationships are completely contrary to life within the kingdom of heaven. See, for the kingdom of heaven is marked by whole 
and healthy, reconciled relationships where there's harmony and there's unity and there's joy and there's love that actually reflects the very heart of our triune God. And so uh, he says, like, this is, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he's going to call this thing in our lives, so this heart issue out. It says, this is completely contrary to the, to the kingdom of heaven. And so like the, the, what Jesus is really getting at, what he wants for us, these whole healthy relationships, like those, those are things that we want, right? Like we want this. Jesus wants this. But Jesus knows that there's something that works against it. There's something that leads to these broken relationships, and that's what he is drawing, his, drawing our attention to here. And so let's look at it again, starting in verse 21. He says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, all right? And so that's Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. That's the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus says, you've heard it said from people long ago, like long ago, they, they, but they knew that. They knew this command, but he says, okay, this is, this is the command, and he follows it up with this statement. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, my guess is most, if not all of us, have been able to keep that commandment. And, you know, and if so, uh, way to go, way to go. And, and, and keep that up. That's a, it's a really good thing, not murdering people. So, you know, good, good job on that. But Jesus is about to show us that that kind of righteousness, just, uh, that, that where it's just this behavior, outside behavior thing, it, it, it doesn't get to the heart level that really marks the righteousness that is found in the kingdom of heaven. And so he's going to move, again, this from behavior, outward behavior, to inner life. And here's what he says. You've heard it said, you shall not murder, but verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And it's with this statement that Jesus moves us from this outward behavior focus to what's going on in our inner life, right? Now, a couple of things to to uh, take note of here. Uh, In the Greek, there are two words uh, that interpreters use to translate the word anger into English, okay? So there's two Greek words that we interpret as anger. The first word is thumos. And thumos, which is used to uh, describe like this kind of quick, flare-up, flash-in-the-pan kind of anger. Like when you're cut off in traffic, you might feel that. Or like when your son gets in an argument with his sister for the fifth time that day and you're just like, just stop it! You know, a purely hypothetical situation. I'm not, not talking about anyone specific. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's that kind of anger. It, it comes on you fast, but it also dissipates quickly. That's that. Uh, but then there's another kind of anger that... Uh, Another Greek word for anger that's different, it's, it's orgizo. And orgizo is used to speak of a deeper kind of anger that you brood over. As you replay the offense again and again in your mind. You see, it's, it's, it's like when you hold on to it like, like a grudge. So, uh, it's helpful to know that that's the word that Jesus uses here. Jesus, just to be clear, isn't saying you're not allowed to ever feel the emotion of anger. He's he's talking about this anger that we would kind of we would think about it as uh, this anger that we're holding on to as a holding on to a grudge 
or nursing a grudge. Now, to get to risk being even more technical on you, I think it's also helpful to know that in the Greek, this is a uh, present participle. And so it means that this is actually an ongoing action. And so to kind of summarize it, this would be like what Jesus is literally saying is, but I tell you that anyone who is being angry or who is harboring a grudge toward a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay? So that's helpful to know. What's interesting to note is um, the punishment or the consequence of harboring a grudge is also the exact same uh, word usage that Jesus uses when he says, thou shall not murder. If you do, then you will be what? Subject to judgment. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Anyone who is angry or harboring a grudge with the brothers will be subject to judgment. And that's kind of wild, isn't it? It's like feels a little bit extreme. But Jesus is doing this because he's helping in his mind, he ties what is happening on the outside, murder, with what's going on in the inside, harboring anger. And he says, okay, those two things are tied together because what causes the outward behavior is what's going on in your inner life. And so you're going to be subject to judgment for murdering. You're also subject to judgment for harboring anger. It's a big deal to Jesus. He's not done. He keeps, on, he keeps going. He says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to court. Now, I, you probably read this and think, okay, well, I'm good with that one. You know, so far, so good. Haven't murdered anyone. And then maybe the harboring anger, okay, I've maybe done that, but I, I haven't done it. So two out of three, I'm good because I don't ever say Raka. I mean, you have to be a real Bible nerd to go around and start saying Raka to people. We don't say that because it's an Aramaic word that we don't use. But before you kind of like, hey, I'm good there, it is helpful to know that this word basically means uh, to call someone a nothing or a nobody or worthless or a loser or what we mean sometimes when we call someone an idiot, or any other words that I'm not allowed to say in church, okay? Um, Words that convey that you are less than, that you're not important, that you're of no use to me, you're not worth my time, not worth my attention, not worth my energy, whatever you say. In some translations, they just say, instead of not translating raka, they just say anyone who insults their brother or sister. But when you devalue them, with your words, Jesus says, you're answerable to the court. And this word court, it's helpful to know, in the Greek is actually the word Sanhedrin, which was basically in the nation of Israel, like their supreme court. So this is very heavy language. And Jesus continues. He says, um, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell, to which I wanted to say, whoa, Jesus. Like, come on, like, you know, aren't you getting a little carried away here? I mean, seriously, like the fire of hell for saying, you fool? Like, that's, that's a little extreme, right? But according to Jesus, it's not. And it's not because in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we're told that everything you do flows from your heart. 
And Jesus himself would say in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that your mouth speaks what your heart is full of. And so what you say, what you call people, and what you do, whether that's harboring a grudge or actually murdering someone, it all flows from your heart. Specifically, it flows from a heart that believes it's better than or more important than others. See, what Jesus knows is that what makes it possible for us to murder someone or to hold a grudge against someone or to judge someone and say that they are worthless or a fool, what makes that possible is a haughty spirit. What makes that possible is a heart that's full of contempt. See, where you look down on others with this dismissive, disdainful attitude. And Jesus knows that this contemptuous heart attitude is at the source of so many broken relationships. And he knows that it thwarts God's will, which is that we would love one another. See, for love is service on behalf of another, that, that love is valuing others ahead of yourself. But when you, on a heart level, believe that you're more important than others, that you're better than others, then you look down on them and you will not love them. And so a contemptuous heart has no place in the kingdom of heaven. And that is uh, hard to hear because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're all guilty of that. Like we all struggle with this heart issue, don't we? I mean, who here hasn't ever harbored anger towards someone who's treated you poorly and you thought, how dare they treat me in that way? Or I would never do that. What they did, I would never do anything like that. Like, I'm better than them, and they, that's proof that they're less than me. And like, who's ne- and get, you get angry, you, get, you hold on to that grudge. Like, who's never done that? Who's never said something that belittled somebody or that conveyed the sense that they are less than you or of no value or no worth, calling them an idiot or blowing them off altogether? Like, who, who hasn't here? Who hasn't done? I've done that so many times. I don't like to admit it, but it's true. Jesus says that kind of contentious heart has no place in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So then in verse 23, he kind of changes, not changes the subject, but kind of turns a corner. So he says, therefore, and when he says therefore, he's, he's tying basically in light of everything I just said what you're not to do, let me tell you what you should do. Kind of a picture of what a heart that's been transformed will do that, that's a better picture of, of the kingdom of heaven. He says, he says this, starting in verse 23, and what he, real quick, what he's doing here, which you'll see in these two examples he's going to give, is that he's going to show what it looks like to actually really prioritize relationships and really treat people according to how God would treat them. So here's what he says, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Now, this like hypothetical story, scenario that Jesus tells here, it's actually kind of funny because it's so extreme. See, when, when there's, it's helpful to know, like, there was only one altar in Jerusalem. Uh, I, I mean, altar in Israel, and it was in Jerusalem. It was at the temple. And yet Jesus is teaching Sermon on the Mount in Galilee, near the, you know, near the Sea of Galilee. And that's 80 miles away from that altar. And so if you go with this, what Jesus is saying, what the people are hearing is like, hey, let's say that you're going to take basically your yearly pilgrimage all the way 80 miles down, down south to Jerusalem. And you got your, you know, you're going to make your sacrifice. And which says your sacrifice there wasn't like a check that you were writing the church. It was actually like an animal, probably a goat. And so you take Billy the goat and you've walked your 80 miles to Jerusalem. And you're there at the temple and you're now standing before the high priest. You're about to make your sacrifice. And then you remember, oh gosh. Man, I, I'm crossways with my neighbor. Or, man, I, 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 like, I offended, I hurt my father or my sister or whoever. And you remember, that comes to your mind. You think, oh, my goodness, what, what should I do? Jesus says, here's what you should do. You just leave Billy the goat right there. You say, high priest, can you watch this? And I'm going to go. And you're going to walk that 80 miles back home. And you're going to knock on your neighbor's door. You're going to go to your dad. You're going to go to your sister. You're going to say, hey, I'm so sorry. I realize that things are, are off with I did you wrong. And you're going to work on that, and you're going to reconcile, and then you'll go take that 80-mile trip back to Jerusalem. You'll pick up Billy, and then you'll kill Billy in front of the high priest. Like, that, that's what, this is the story that Jesus is saying. It's like, well, that, Jesus, that sounds rather extreme. But Jesus is trying to convey two things with this. One, he's conveying how serious this is. Like, go out of your way to reconcile. Like, inconvenience yourself to reconcile. And by tying this to the temple and the sacrifice, he's also saying something else. And that is, hey, friends, your relationship with God is linked. It's tied to your relationship with others. And so only worshiping God and with, with, with all this unreconciled relationship. Now you deal with that, and then you come and worship. They're tied together. So you, one of Jesus' disciples, John, pick up on that in 1 John chapter 4. And uh, he'll say, hey, anyone who claims to love God but hates his brother or sister is a liar. You, you, you got to see that your relationship with others, how you treat others, is connected to how you worship and relate to God. It's a big deal. Then Jesus gives another scenario. Uh, he says, verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary, or another word for that would be your enemy. He says, uh, settle, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together and on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, 
for some historical context, it's helpful to know that in the ancient world, you could get thrown in prison if you owed a debt that you couldn't pay. And uh, you'd have to stay there in prison until you were able to pay off the debt, which, you know, I don't know if you can see this, but it was a terrible system because, you know, it's really hard to make money to pay off a debt when you are in prison. And so some people would just die in prison, in this debt prison. But Jesus says, hey, you don't want to risk that. <laughs> you know? so, so on the way, if you're getting taken to court and you've got an enemy, someone who, your adversary, someone who's actually out, you feel out to get you, hey, don't, don't, don't put that off. Don't procrastinate trying to reconcile. Don't expect someone else to make you reconcile. Just take the initiative. On your way, go to them and seek reconciliation. The, the emphasis on this story is to do that quickly, to not procrastinate that. And he says, let me tell you why. It's because where he says, true, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus is drawing attention to this truth statement, which is uh, if we hold on to anger and we don't reconcile, it can have really long-lasting effects on your life. He says, deal with this quickly. I can sum, just to summarize these two stories, what Jesus is communicating is, if you're at odds with somebody, go to them. Make peace with them as best as you can and as quickly as you can. Don't delay and don't procrastinate. For contrary to what our contentious hearts may believe, that person that you're sideways with is valuable to God. So much so, that your relationship with God is tied up in how you treat that person. And so don't treat them as a nobody. Go to them and reconcile as quickly as you can. Now, I know that raises a bunch of questions for us, right? Because it's like, well, you know, what if the other person is not willing to reconcile? Or what if they won't even meet with me? Or what if they continue to lash out at me or try to, to harm me? Like, what, what do I do in those scenarios? And those are really fair questions. That's why, one of the reasons why I love the realism in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul writes, if, it's, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, it, the truth is, is it takes two to tango, and it takes two to reconcile. And if you don't have the other party willing to reconcile, then you're not going to be reconciled. However, what Jesus is emphasizing here is that a heart that reflects the, the heart of the kingdom of God is one that does your part, that seeks it out, that tries, that pursues reconciliation. And it may not happen. That's not on you. It takes another party. But you need to try. You need to pursue it. You need to prioritize it. And don't put it off. Go quickly. Okay? And you do that. You go after them. Because they matter to God. They're valuable to God. And so you seek reconciliation with them. So... Let me try to get real practical here for a minute. Because here's what I, I've seen. I've been pastor, youth pastor, and small groups pastor, and the pastor of this church for eight years. So there's like 17 years I've been a pastor. And in that time, one of the things that I've seen is that uh, for whatever reason, perhaps 
uh, family life or Wi-Fi or the internet or social media, <laughs> whatever it is, we, we, it feels like we've, we've kind of lost the know-how on how to reconcile. We, we're not very good at that. And, uh, and so let me just get practical. I'm like, what, what, how do you actually do this? And, that, and there's a lot that I could say on this topic, okay? And for sake of time, I'm not going to say it all. Instead, I just want to boil it down to two uh, essential ingredients that must be there if you're going to have reconciliation. And those two ingredients are repentance and forgiveness. And let me talk a little bit of what that looks like or what that means, specifically starting with Repentance. Now, re- repentance um, is what you do when you're like that guy with Billy the goat in verse 23, and you realize, okay, I've done someone wrong. Things are off with me in this person, and I need to do something to try to make it right. Well, what do you do? What you do, friends, is you repent. And you go to them, and, and repentance has these three elements to it. And I, I don't say this often, but I would actually encourage you all to write this down. I think this is help, really helpful. See, repentance at first involves taking full responsibility for what you've done wrong without making an excuse. Even if they started it. Even if, you know, 80% of what happened that went bad was their fault. You just own your part. You go to them, you own your part without making an excuse. That's the first part. The second part of of it is it involves asking for forgiveness. Like literally saying, I'm sorry. This is what I did wrong. Will you forgive me? And then the third part is that it involves offering to make a change. For repentance always involves change. And so you say, I don't want this to happen again And so here's what I'm going to do. This is a change I'm going to make. Or perhaps you would even ask them, okay, I don't want this to happen again. What do you suggest I do to change? And friends, unless your repentance includes all three of these things, then you haven't actually repented. Like, this is what full repentance looks like. And it's an essential ingredient for there to have a chance of reconciled relationship. It's the first half of it. The second half is the forgiveness side of things. And so let's say you're on the side where you've actually been done wrong, and you're the one receiving this, and you need to forgive. Well, what does that actually look like, and what will help you do that? And what does it even mean? That's what I want to speak to for a minute here. Let me begin with what will actually help you be willing to forgive. And specifically, the thing that's going to help you be willing to forgive is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Namely, what the gospel says about you and what the gospel says about them, the person who's wronged you. Here's what I mean. Here's what the gospel says about you and about me. It says that we're all sinners, that we've all messed up, that we are far from perfect, and that we are only, our only hope is the grace of Jesus Christ. That without God's forgiveness we would all be lost. And when you recognize that, and you see, okay, this person has really hurt me, and what they've done is really wrong, and I'm sure it is. You're not downplaying the wrongdoing, but when you recognize that I too have done wrong, maybe not in the exact same way, but I've got my own stuff, and I have been forgiven. 
that Jesus has died for me to pay for my sin, that I need forgiveness just like this person needs forgiveness, it softens your heart, making you more willing to extend them forgiveness in light of the fact that God is extending you forgiveness. That will help you be willing to forgive. The other thing that will help you be willing to forgive is what the gospel says about the person that's hurt you. And here's what the gospel says specifically about the person that hurt you. It says that they really matter to God. And they matter to God so much that Jesus died for them. And see, when someone really hurts you, this is how we are tend to be, I'll just speak honestly, how I will tend to see someone. I will see them through the lens of what they've done to me. And it will make me want to devalue them. But when I see them through the lens of what Jesus has done for them, it makes me rightly value them. That I determine their worth not based on what they've done, but what Jesus has done for them. And he died for them. That they matter to him. And therefore, it moves me to want to treat them like they matter and to reconcile their relationship. So that those two things, what the gospel says about you, what the gospel says about them, will help you be willing to extend forgiveness. But what does that actually look like? What does it mean? Well, the best definition I've ever heard for forgiveness, I steal from Tim Keller. He says this, forgiveness means to give up the right to see repayment. Forgiveness means to, to give up the right to see repayment. See, when, you're, when you've been wronged, you feel like you've been robbed. You feel like you've been robbed of happiness or a reputation or an opportunity and so you're in pain, and you want them to feel your pain, right? And so you yell at them, or you lash out at them, or in extreme cases, you murder them, right? Like, this is what leads to you. Like, I want you to feel this pain. And some of us, we, we, we are um, more passive in wanting them to feel pain, and so we might not do anything directly to their face, but we will find ourselves rooting for their pain. And so anytime you hear that things have gone poorly for this person, something in you rejoices, See, if, if that's true of you, either one, you're lashing out or you're rejoicing when you hear they're in pain, then what that tells you is you haven't forgiven them. So forgiveness is the, uh, means to give up the right to see repayment. So how do you do that? Well, one thing you need to know, and this isn't easy, but it's true, is that forgiveness is granted before it's felt. You don't wait until you feel like you've forgiven them, you choose to. It's, it's volition of the will. It's granted before it's felt. And here's what you're granting. To get really, really, really specific. You're granting not to do three things and instead to do a fourth. Here's what you're, you're granting here, or what you're committing not to do. One, you're committing not, as it says here, you're committing not to beat them up to their face. Two, you're committing not to beat them up behind their back to others. And third, you're committing not to beat them up in your own heart. And the thing that you are committing to do positively is that you're committing to pray for them. This is the act of forgiveness you're going to decide to forgo seeing repayment. You're going to do that by granting it even before you feel it, by choosing not to beat them up to others 
to their face, to others, or in your heart. Instead, you're going to pray for them. You think, man, that is so hard. Yeah, that's why we need the gospel to remind us that we've been forgiven, that they're valuable. And then you go out and do this. And as a result, what can happen is that you, there's reconciliation in the relationship. It's not guaranteed, but it can happen. But let me tell you what else is guaranteed. If you do that, if you do forgiveness like that, what's guaranteed is that you will be protected from anger poisoning you. You'll be able to let go of bitterness. And you will be able to not harbor a grudge. And you will be moved to love. And that's what God is wanting to try to transform us into at all times. But here's the thing. Nine times out of ten, we don't do any of that stuff. Right? See, what we do whenever things are sideways is either we get really mad and we lash out. Or we, we just back off from the relationship. And we try to avoid the person. Or we just act like nothing has actually happened. And you're carrying around a lot of hurt, but you just act like, no, we're all good. So any of those three things, those are the common ways that we respond to being hurt. We either act like it doesn't happen, we act like, or we lash out, or we just back away. And here's what that does, friends. When you do all any of those things, you know what you're doing? You're choosing to value your own comfort over the relationship. That you're saying, okay, a relationship with you, a whole, healthy, thriving, joy-filled relationship with you, where there's harmony as God intended it and love as God intended it, that's not as important to me as my own comfort and being right. And it erodes relationships, destroys relationships, and it has nothing, it looks nothing like the kingdom of heaven. Friends, thank God that that is not how he has treated us. Right? Thank God that that's not how he treated us. I mean, just think about what we're celebrating this week, the week of Christmas. See, Jesus, who truly is more valuable than us, didn't just travel 80 miles out of his way to pursue reconciliation with us. That he left the right hand of the Father to come and be with us. And though he was not the one who had wronged us, he took the initiative to pursue reconciliation with us. And though we were the ones who owed the debt that we could not pay, he paid that debt for us, though it would cost him his life to do so. And he did that all so that we could be reconciled to God through faith and what he has done for us. And friends, when we respond in faith, not only does he forgive us, but hear this, he gives us a new heart. And he places his spirit, the Holy Spirit, within us, making it possible for us to do what he's talking about in these verses, to make it possible for us to truly live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Friends, how amazing is Jesus? Look at what he's done for us. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new, the new creation has come. 
The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I love those verses. Friends, this is one of the main ways that we are to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The main, main ways that we are to be the salt and the light of the world. It's all in response and as a result of what God has done in reconciling us to himself in Christ. Because of that, we are ministers of reconciliation. And we can do that because in Christ, we have been given a new heart. The old is gone, the new is gone. And he's placed his spirit within us. So as we abide in Christ, as we stay in step with the Spirit, we can quit harboring anger. And we can quit treating anyone, quit speaking to anyone as if they are a nobody. And we can rightfully treat everyone in light of their true value as declared by God when Jesus willingly died for them. And we can prioritize relationships with people, even the people you are crossways with, by loving and pursuing reconciliation with them in light of Christ and because of Christ and empowered by Christ. And friends, if you do that, if I do that, then we will give the world a taste and a view into the kingdom of heaven. For this, living this way, being ministers of reconciliation, it is so extremely countercultural. See, our culture says that if you've been done wrong, get angry or get even or get them out of your life. But Jesus says, that's not what life in my kingdom is like. For people matter to me even when they have done me wrong. And I go after them with a heart to reconcile. And that's what my citizens, that's what my followers will do as well because they are ministers of reconciliation. And friends, if you choose to follow Jesus in this, empowered by him, walking in step with him, then here's what's going to happen. Your family, your Christmas dinner this week will become a lot more like heaven you do this, then your marriage will become a lot more like heaven. If you do this, your home and your friend group and your neighborhood and the city of Austin will become a lot more like heaven. And so, friends, in light of Jesus, let's be ministers of reconciliation Let's live in light of the new heart that we've been given by him and his spirit within us. Let's be the light of the world and salt of the earth. This is what Jesus came to make possible, but it cost him his life. And so to end the sermon, let's, uh, we're going to take communion together to remember that. And may this be a reminder of the great lengths that Jesus went to in order to make it possible for us to be reconciled to him. And may we be reminded of this incredible truth that because of what he has done, we've been given this new heart and his spirit within us. If we respond to the gift of his life with faith, trusting that he really did this for us. 
Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.